Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. I'm Trevor Chenoweth, an associate in SNC's litigation group. And with me today is Nikki Friedlander, who is a partner in our criminal defense and investigations group and co-head of its cybersecurity practice, and Eric Cadell, a partner in our general practice group and co-head of its international trade and investment practice. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Trevor. Happy to be here. Yes, thank you, Trevor. So today we'll be discussing two advisories issued by the United States Treasury Department on October 1st, both of which focus on payments made in connection with ransomware attacks. Nikki, if you could start us off with some background on what ransomware attacks are. Sure. Ransomware is malicious software or malware that encrypts computer systems or data, rendering them essentially useless. Cyber criminals then demand ransom payments from victims in exchange for providing a decryption key that will enable the systems or data to be accessed again. Now, even if payment is made, there's, of course, no guarantee that the perpetrator will provide the decryption key or that the key will work. More recently, we've also begun to see ransomware combined with the theft of data from systems, and attackers then threaten to publish the data obtained from the affected systems if the victim does not make the ransom payment. And Eric, can you tell us about the new ransomware advisories issued by the Treasury Department? Sure. The uh, Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, also known as FinCEN, and the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control, also known as OFAC, each issued an advisory related to the execution of ransomware payments through the U.S. financial system. FinCEN and OFAC each have different tools for approaching the issue of ransomware attacks. The FinCEN guidance focuses on assisting financial institutions with detecting, preventing, and reporting ransomware-related financial activity. In other words, transactions that are moving through the financial institution that is reporting. Uh, FinCEN, in their guidance, stresses that detection and reporting of such activity can greatly assist in preventing and deterring malicious cyber actors by making ransom attacks more difficult and exposing those who commit them so that they may be held accountable. Not that the disclosure to FinCEN makes the attack more difficult per se, but it makes the payment potentially more difficult and so less attractive to the potential malicious cyber actor. The OFAC guidance, on the other hand, focuses on a different problem. It focuses on the potential risk to financial institutions that facilitate ransom-related payments to sanctioned entities. So not every malicious cyber actor will necessarily be a sanctioned party, but to the extent that any malicious cyber actor or someone acting on their behalf or for their benefit, such as a financial institution, is a sanctioned entity, then OFAC wants to make sure that U.S. financial institutions and others subject to OFAC jurisdiction who are involved with processing these payments are not doing so in a way that violates OFAC sanctions. So OFAC can add ransomware attackers to the lists of sanctioned parties that it maintains, but it can also penalize financial institutions and others for facilitating transactions. And I think OFAC's goal is really to help deter ransom payments that would be for the benefit of sanctioned entities. Got it. And to be clear, these Treasury guidelines are not focused on the risks that 
the financial institutions themselves face from being attacked by ransomware, but it's the role that they play in facilitating payments from victims of the attacks to the purported cyber criminals, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, of course, the guidelines are focused on the role of financial institutions directly and indirectly encouraging ransomware attacks by facilitating the payment of funds to the criminals. By the way, you could also extend the concepts in the guidance to parties that are non-financial institutions, but who are the victims of cyber attacks to the extent that they are seeking to initiate the payments. They could be themselves engaged in sanctions violations. But financial institutions in particular serve as the crucial payment link between victims and the ransomware attackers. And so financial institutions are in a very good position to detect and potentially prevent ransoms from being paid to sanctioned parties potentially in position to help track down the hackers through provision of information that maybe leads to identification of the hackers and then presenting information to regulatory authorities and law enforcement through the FinCEN process and suspicious activity reporting. I should note that while it's not a focus of these advisories, financial institutions themselves, of course, can become victims of ransomware attacks, and they should take steps to ensure that their own systems are protected. Thanks, Eric. So turning to you, Nikki, ransomware is not a new phenomenon. So why are these advisories being issued now? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say there are a couple reasons. First, the severity, sophistication, and the number of ransomware attacks has continued to rise. We've seen dramatic growth in the use of ransomware generally, particularly against the healthcare industry in the United States. As cited in the OFAC advisory, there was a 37% annual increase in reported ransomware cases and a 147% annual increase in associated losses just from 2018 to 2019. Second, in recent years, ransomware schemes have increasingly been employed by nation-state actors, uh, and OFAC began designating state-sponsored cyber actors several years ago. The most significant example of that, I would say, uh, relates to WannaCry ransomware, which disrupted hundreds of thousands of networks and caused billions of dollars of losses globally in 2017. The perpetrators of WannaCry ransomware were designated by OFAC, and the Justice Department charged North Korean state-sponsored actors with perpetrating the attack in a landmark case that was led by Tony Lewis, who's actually now a member of our cybersecurity practice here at Sullivan and Cromwell. So I would say the Treasury Department issued these new advisories on the risks associated with ransomware payments, uh, both in response to the dramatic increase in ransomware attacks generally and specifically in response to the increased use of ransomware by hostile nation states. Great, thank you. So we know there are pre-existing regulations that could result in penalties for financial institutions that facilitate these ransomware payments. Eric, could you tell us more about that? Sure. So I think what you're asking about there is, is this guidance that uh, FinCEN and OFAC issued really setting out new law, or is it just applying existing law to particular type of situation? And it's really the latter. And the United States, of course, has a well-established structure of economic and trade sanctions. 
those sanctions can take a number of forms. They can take really stringent forms banning almost all investment or trade with a sanction targeted jurisdiction or its nationals, or it can take a very targeted approach banning investment and trade with a particular entity or a particular individual. What OFAC may do and does in the cyberspace in particular is they may designate lists of malicious cyber actors. They could be criminals or other national security threats. And once those parties are designated, then they become targets of U.S. sanctions. What that means is that any party who is subject to the jurisdiction of the United States and thus required to comply with the prohibitions that the sanctions implement will effectively be prohibited from processing transactions that could benefit those sanction-targeted entities. For example, OFAC has very broad and what might be called territorial sanctions that target North Korea, Cuba, and Iran. Both are all three, certainly North Korea and Iran, relatively well known as sources of malicious cyber activity. The sanctions may also target terrorist organizations and drug cartels. And specifically, there is a program under OFAC administered sanctions going after malicious cyber actors directly. And through that, OFAC has added cyber actors who developed and employed well-known malware such as Dredex, WannaCry 2.0, and CryptoLocker. Of course, the world of malicious cyber actors is always expanding, so Treasury encourages financial institutions to be proactive in detecting and catching suspicious actors and payments. It sounds like there's a a pretty broad list here of persons that could be on OFAC's designated lists and regional embargoes. What are the penalties that a financial institution could face for engaging in a transaction with those entities? OFAC penalties are both civil and criminal. Um, The civil penalties, however, are effectively a strict liability regime, meaning that a financial institution or other party subject to OFAC jurisdiction could be penalized for engaging in a transaction that is in violation of the sanctions, whether or not they knew that transactions run afoul of U.S. sanctions laws course, potential penalties will vary on a case-by-case basis, and OFAC staff, in considering whether or not to take enforcement action, will look at the significance of the transaction. They'll also consider the existence, the nature, and the adequacy of the entity's sanctions compliance program, other significant mitigating factors that a OFAC staff may take into consideration are whether a party self-initiated and made a timely and complete report on a voluntary basis of a ransomware attack or ransomware-related payment to law enforcement, including OFAC, and whether there was full and timely cooperation both during and after an attack. Understood. Well, we've discussed regulations that OFAC could rely on to penalize financial institutions for facilitating ransomware payments. Does FinCEN's advisory discuss any regulations that could result in penalties for facilitating these payments? Sure. Turning the focus back over to FinCEN, their advisory 
on ransomware is focused on detection, such as financial red flags that might indicate a transaction is linked to ransomware activity and the obligation of a financial institution to file suspicious activity reports or SARS for suspect transactions. Typical examples include multiple payments that appear structured to avoid detection, payments to entities that are unusual for the client's business, the opening or closing of accounts for unexpected or unexplained reasons. The advisory notes that FinCEN believes ransomware activity is underreported, and the guidance itself may suggest that both FinCEN and OFAC are going to look at this area directly and with a focus on failure to make a SAR when required or potentially in a failure to make voluntary disclosure where uh, not required, but where a payment is made as a means of sort of targeting and trying to discourage any future ransomware activity. The failure of a financial institution, getting back to the penalties question, the failure of a financial institution to file a SAR can result in penalty fines. As an example, in 2015, FinCEN fined National Community Bank $1.5 million for failing to file SARS despite the existence of significant red flags. Eric, you mentioned just a minute ago that the FinCEN guidance talks about red flags associated with ransomware payments in particular. Could you tell us a little bit more about those? Sure, I'd be happy to. Yes, you're correct. The new guidance from FinCEN does outline indicators for financial institutions that a payment is connected to cybercrime. Banks will be expected to monitor their customers' transactions and block or report payments that are suspicious. The red flags in the advisories include when a customer is in a sector vulnerable to cyber attacks. Nikki mentioned earlier healthcare as one of those sectors where a very large increase in the number of attacks has been observed. There's also been reporting, for example, of attacks on state and local governments and educational institutions, including high schools and and other public school districts. On the other hand, they may look at whether the customer is a cybersecurity company or an insurance company that might be responding to a cyber attack on behalf of their client. Another red flag potentially could be the use of Bitcoin or other convertible virtual currencies where the customer does not typically use those means of payment. There could be a suspicious pattern of transactions, such as receiving a large amount of funds and then immediately transmitting those funds out to a possible payment facilitator. Other red flags include if a beneficiary of a payment is listed on public source document or in government databases as linked to cybercrime, or if customers state directly that a payment is in response to a ransomware attack. So it strikes me that The question then becomes, what should banks do if they know that a requested payment is in connection with a ransomware attack? How do they react? That's a complex question and would certainly need to be looked at in light of all the facts and circumstances. The FinCEN guidance in particular reminds financial institutions of their Bank Secrecy Act obligations, which require the filing of SARS or the suspicious activity reports. If a bank knows or suspects or has reason to suspect that a transaction conducted or attempted at a financial institution is derived from illegal activity, 
and financial institutions are required to incorporate all relevant information available, including cyber-related information, and completing those reports. FinCEN also strongly encourages financial institutions to share information with each other as a means of protecting the U.S. financial system from ransomware threats, at least within the strictures of the Bank Secrecy Act and the related regulations. Section 314B of the Patriot Act, for example, will provide a safe harbor for information sharing regarding suspected money laundering or terrorist financing activities, which the FinCEN guidance emphasizes is critical to identifying, reporting, and preventing ransomware schemes. For example, financial institutions can cooperate to create shared databases of suspicious customers and counterparties to streamline processes where authorized. There are a variety of potential steps that can be taken to help address this problem. The other thing that I'd like to just flag here is that in addition to FinCEN, you do have an OFAC regime that is relevant. And certainly where a sanctioned party is clearly involved in a transaction or is benefiting from a transaction the financial institution may have an obligation to block the property, meaning that the payment has to be frozen, reported to OFAC, and placed into a blocked account and not further transferred. So even though OFAC recognizes that these are difficult situations, if a payment is not made, data could be locked up, could be lost, very costly, doesn't mean that they're going to authorize or license a payment. And we'll have to see over time how OVAC approaches matters where apparent sanctions violations are presented in respect of a payment, whether it's determined at the time of the payment or determined after the fact. In light of that, companies are faced with a pretty difficult choice when they are hit by ransomware. They can refuse to pay the ransom, deal with the business consequences, or they potentially pay a ransom to a sanctioned party and face these regulatory risks. So, Nikki, do you have any further insight for companies that are stuck in this situation? Yeah, unfortunately, there's no easy answer, and and this is very, very fact-dependent. I would begin by saying that most ransomware situations do not involve a likely payment to a sanctioned entity. They often more typically involve payment to actors that the FBI um, and and cyber uh, experts and forensic consultants working with the company in a ransomware attack will be able to say uh, are are purely criminal actors or highly likely to be purely criminal actors. Even then, though, even if the company has some confidence that it would not be paying a sanctioned entity, even then the question whether to pay is a very difficult and fact-dependent one. Some questions the company will ask are, first, how badly will the company or others be hurt if the company doesn't pay the ransom and loses the system or servers? You know, are we talking about servers that are used to run a hospital, servers that people's lives, you know, depend on minute to minute, or or is this something far less significant? Does the company have backups, and how long would it take to make those backups operational or, or to rebuild effective servers from scratch? Does the company have insurance for any payment for the business interruption or for other effects of the attack? As I said, most situations do not involve payments to sanctioned parties, but it can be the case that you have very little certainty one way or the other as to who the perpetrators are. 
but the FBI and cybersecurity forensics firms that assist with recovery from ransomware attacks have up-to-the-minute information on the tools, techniques, and protocols associated with the many streams of ransomware that are out there. Uh, of course, there are also well-known risks to paying ransom demands apart from whether the perpetrators are sanctioned. The perpetrators may not give you the decryption key even if you pay, or more commonly, the company may pay and find that the decryption key that doesn't work as well as it should or takes a long time to work, and there's always a risk that the perpetrators leave a back door into the system so that they can maintain a persistent presence in the system and cause further harm. So, you know, any of these situations presents a very difficult decision. In any ransomware situation, and particularly given the legal and regulatory risks that could be associated with any payment, including payment to a sanctioned entity, companies should consult with outside counsel immediately in a ransomware situation. Well, perhaps the best way to deal with this then is to avoid a situation where the company feels compelled to pay a ransom in the first place. Do you have any recommendations in that regard, Nikki? Yes, you know, certainly companies should take steps to minimize their risk of experiencing a ransomware attack. They should also take steps to minimize the negative consequences that are likely to flow from an attack if it occurs. So to reduce the risk of experiencing an attack, companies should keep software up to date. They should use effective antivirus protection, uh, effective malware detection tools. There are some very, very effective malware detection tools for ransomware strains. And they should train their employees rigorously on identifying and avoiding suspicious emails that are the most common vehicle for delivering ransomware. To minimize the consequences from an attack, companies should employ strong access controls that make it difficult for bad actors to move within the network once they've gotten in. They should consider insurance for ransomware attacks. Companies should create offline backups of key systems or servers that the company can use in a crisis. And companies should have in place a usable and tested incident response plan. Uh, finally, I, I would say they should have arrangements in place with outside counsel and cybersecurity firms who can respond instantly in a ransomware situation because the company does not want to have to go through, you know, a, a beauty contest for outside advisors in a crisis like that. Well, thanks again to both of you, Nikki and Eric. This has been really informative. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about cybersecurity and our practice, please visit us on the web at www.solcrom.com. Thank you.